Let me welcome everyone today. So glad that you're with us. For those of you that are new to our church family, my name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here of Coastline Church, and we're really glad that you chose to be with us today. And, and I just wanted to take a moment before I got into everything today and, and just say thank you. Uh, I woke up today realizing that I get to do my dream job for a living because of you. Like, I get to do what I love. I am so fortunate in life that I wake up every day doing what I love to do. I can't imagine uh, ever doing anything other than this. I just I love to teach the Bible. I love to pastor. It's just it, it's it's the how God wired me. But I couldn't do it without you. And I just I'm just so grateful that you allow me this opportunity uh, to pastor here. And I, I plan on being here the rest of my life. And just so grateful for you. And we're just thinking about that when I was driving to church today. So thank you. Uh, let me also take a moment and welcome everyone that is joining us online, those of you wherever you're at, on your computer, or listening to a podcast, and those of you in our cafe and our other services. We're so glad that, that through technology you're able to join us today for this message. Well, next week is Easter. I want to kind of uh, give you the highlight of the Easter weekend and kind of give you the rundown, the schedule. We're going to have two Good Friday services this year for the first time every year for Good Friday. It fills up quickly, uh, and then we're, we're kind of out of room, and so we want to create two opportunities this year for Good Friday, 530 and 7 p.m., and that'll be a Good Friday service. And then we're going to have six Easter services beginning Saturday night at 5 p.m., and then all day Sunday. So let me make sure you understand, none of the Sunday service times will be the same next week. So don't come to your normal Sunday service time next week because it won't be there. Uh, all of the times are moving next week for Easter so that we can accommodate the services and the people. We'll have a 7 a.m., kind of very early, the sunrise type service, 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 5 p.m. Now, in light of Easter, let me help you understand the significance of this for us as followers. Now, it's very easy to look at Easter as like our big holiday of the year. It's like our Super Bowl as Christians, like, like Easter. It's when Jesus died and made all of this possible. And you're absolutely right. It absolutely is. But here's the point about Easter. Easter is not something we're supposed to celebrate privately. It's what we're supposed to celebrate publicly. So if you really want to know how to honor Jesus on Easter, don't come by yourself next week. Because what he died for is not, for those of us who have already found him and he's kind of found us and we're saved and we're Christians, that's wonderful, but Easter is for those who haven't found him yet. And, and that's how we celebrate Easter best, by not making it a private celebration for those of us who are Christian, but making a, a public celebration for those who don't know yet. And so I want to encourage you to begin to think about who you're going to bring with you next week. Easter is the easiest weekend of the year to invite someone to church. The chances that they say yes are way, way up on Easter weekend. And so we've provided resources that you can download from our app or website where you can text invites, you can uh, post invites on social media, Instagram, Facebook. But I want to encourage you to don't come alone next week. Bring somebody with you. For, for what Easter means and what Easter represents, I, I really feel like it's one of the best ways we can honor God is not celebrate it privately, but celebrate it publicly and bring people or invite people with us. And the best way to invite someone is not to give them a yes or no question. Hey, would you like to you know, come to church next week? It's to give them a multiple choice question. I'm going to be at the eight o'clock service. Which one are you going to come to? 
Because then they got to decide. Then, then they actually have to make a decision. And then if they say, well, I can't be at 8, I'll be at 10. I don't even know what. You know, uh, we, we don't have an 8. We have an 8.30. So it would help to know the times. Uh, if they say, I can't be at 8.30, but I can be at 10, the best response that you can have is, great, I'll change my plans. I'll meet you there. We'll grab a cup of coffee. We'll sit together during the service. That's the best way to invite people. So that's one way that, that we can honor Jesus on Easter. Another way that we can honor him on Easter is by physically serving. And when you think about what Jesus went through physically to make Easter possible, for it to give us this day to even celebrate, I think one of, the, one of the other ways we honor him is by giving of our time and energy on Easter. What do I mean? Easter is the one week in a year that if you have been to our church more than three times, like if you've attended services more than three times, and if you've been to church less than three times and you want to, we'll still let you. But if you've been to church at least three times, then we want to invite you to serve on the Dream Team. We have eight different opportunities next week to serve, eight different services that you can serve on the Dream Team at. Every year on Easter, we double our weekend attendance. So the amount of people we have on a regular weekend, we have twice that many people on Easter, which means it's an all-hands-on-deck weekend where where we need everyone who's a part of our church to find a place to serve on Easter to make a difference in the life of people so that when people come and visit our church, they feel the love of God. They, they, we are the hands and feet that make that possible. And so talk to our team today and find out where you're going to serve on Easter to make a difference in someone's life so that we can allow God to use us to the full capacity to make a difference for people. And, and that's the power of Easter. And today is Palm Sunday leading into Easter. And Palm Sunday, uh, this, this isn't the message. This is just for free on the side. Um, Palm Sunday is no greater reminder of our humanness. What do I mean? Well, Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes riding in Jerusalem, everybody yells, Hoshana, Hoshana, and they put out the palm branches. And we look at that as this beautiful celebration of worship. It's like church. They're yelling, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is Hoshana. And to be very honest, it had nothing to do with religion or anything spiritual at all. Hoshana in the Hebrew or the Greek means save us, save us. And the palm branches were representation of a defiance to Rome. What they were saying to Jesus is save us from Rome. Save us from the Roman Empire. Deliver us. We're tired of being slaves. We're tired of being oppressed. Save us. And what's interesting is within a week, the same people who yelled Hosanna, Hosanna, were the very same people who yelled crucify, crucify. How fickle we are as humans, aren't we? Like, like in such a short period of time, we can change our mind. And the reason they changed their mind is because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. And there's a huge lesson there. When God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer, it's very easy to turn our back on God, to change our mind about God, to turn on him and get angry with him because he doesn't do. See, what they wanted was Jesus to, to start this military revolution and overthrow the Roman Empire. And when they saw him on trial, and they saw him beaten, and they saw him bloody, they realized he's not the military leader we were hoping for. And so they turned their back and began to cry out, crucify, crucify. Because oftentimes what God is doing, we can't see. And so be very, very careful when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer, because it's very easy to turn on him and get angry because you can't see the big picture of what he's actually doing. He was saving them, just not in the way they wanted to be saved. So that was for free. Um, 
Let's, let's jump into the message today. If you've got your message notes, we're in this series on, on studying the Bible. Uh, and, and we have one opportunity for some of you in our church family that would like to uh, join us on this opportunity. And that's this fall. We're going to have a biblical studies trip to Israel uh, where we're going to go to the land of Israel. And we're actually going to study the Bible in Israel. And I'd love to invite, if this has ever been on your bucket list or been a desire or something in your heart, I'd love to invite you to go with me and study the Bible in Israel. Uh, here, here's some photos from my last trip out on the Sea of Galilee. There is nothing like being on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, studying the story of Jesus walking on water when you're on the very water that he walked on. I mean, it, it is a, it's a pretty amazing experience. And then at the Jordan River, where the vicinity of where Jesus was baptized, and then this city right here, Beth Shean, it's, it's not part of biblical history because they don't consider it old because it's only about 1,900 years old, and, and it's got to be over 2,000 years old to be considered old. But it was a Roman city from around A.D. 100 to 200 that was found in this guy's backyard. So this guy was out gardening one day in his backyard, found like a, you know some artifact called the Israeli Antiquity, and all of a sudden they found like this 40-acre city that went down 30 feet with giant Roman columns and amphitheaters. In this guy's backyard, I mean, they're still finding stuff today, and it's just amazing walking through that. And there's Cedric and I up on the Temple Mount that were standing where uh, King Solomon's temple would have stood during that time. Just incredible experiences. So if this has ever been on your heart, the registration deadline is in May. And so go online, get all of the information. Hopefully all the questions that you have will be answered online that you can sign up and join us. Uh, love you to join us on that trip. If you got your message notes out, we're going to start with this verse in John chapter 8 today, because today we end this series on the Bible, but my goal is that we don't lose this series. Yes, we got to move on to something else, but we don't want to lose what we've learned. We want, to, we want to take everything we've learned in this series, and we want to build it into the fabric of our life. And it's critical that we understand how to study the Bible, interpret the Bible, read the Bible, trust the Bible. So if you've missed any one of these messages this week, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to them all. They are very, very foundational. I was in my small group this week and we, were, we got into a discussion on the Bible in our small group. And one of the guys in my small group said, you know, and, and I, I think he missed one of the messages on the Bible because I, I taught on how do we interpret the Old Testament and how we read the Old Testament. And he said, he was talking about Caleb because we just kind of got in our one-year Bible into in Joshua and Caleb and, and all these guys that go into the land of Israel. And Caleb was like over 80 years old and he obeyed God and God renewed his strength and blessed him. And he was still fighting battles because he had all of his vitality and strength and vigor at an old age because he obeyed God. And a guy in my group said, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like Caleb. I want to obey God so that God will bless me with strength and vitality. And, and, I, and, I, and it just it caught me off guard because I was like, you have completely missed how to read the Old Testament. See, if you read the Old Testament as characters of what you're supposed to be like, like if you're putting yourself in, into the character's shoes, what the Old Testament becomes is a burden and a weight too, too heavy to bear. That's why Jesus was constantly fighting against the Pharisees. You're putting a weight on people. You're putting a burden on people that they can't possibly carry. We are not Caleb. We don't put ourselves in Caleb's shoes in the Bible. Jesus was Caleb. Jesus is the one who obeyed 
perfectly receive the blessing of God so that those of us in the New Testament, all we have to do is believe in him, be in Christ, and we receive the blessing. See, the Old Testament was obey, then receive. The New Testament is believe, then receive. Are you saying that we don't have to obey? Not at all. What I'm saying is, what is the motivation for your obedience? Are you obeying for God to bless you, or are you obeying because God has already blessed you? See, there's a big difference. Paul was the hardest worker in the Bible, but Paul was the first one to tell you, I'm not working hard to get anything from God. I'm working hard because he's already given me everything. You see, the Christian life, you begin the journey with the full blessing of God by believing and accepting it by faith. And that's why we work hard, because God's already lavished his love on us. I'm not working hard so that God will like me. I'm working hard because he already adores me. And there's a radically different approach to Christianity in that. And again, if you interpret the Bible the wrong way, you're going to put a weight on your neck. You're going to put a burden on your neck that is too much to bear. And and this will actually liberate you to live for God more when you understand it the right way. So if you've missed any of the messages, go back and review them. Let's begin today. If you continue in my word, that's the title of today's message, continue. How many know continuing is tough? How many of you are still continuing your New Year's resolutions from January? I mean, it's tough to continue stuff. Like, we got to continue in his word. He says, you truly are disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. You'll get the truth into your life. You'll know it, and the truth will make you free. In other words, you're going to see, you're going to see fruit in different areas of your life. You're going to see freedom in areas in your life. Some of your marriages aren't where you want your marriage to be. Your business isn't where you want it to be. Your career, your emotional life, your parenting, your, your, your physical life, it's not where you want it to be. And you want to see some freedom in those areas. You want to see those areas grow and advance. Well, Jesus is giving you a key. If you continue in my word, and you know this book, you get it in you, you know it. And the word here, know, in the Greek is gnosko, which is an intimate knowledge of. You get this book intimately intertwined into who you are, you're going to see some freedom in your life, freedom that you've been wanting for, freedom that you've been longing for, freedom that the world cannot give you. That's what this is all about. About Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, he, he pastored in London, England in the 1800s. At 18 years old, he built the largest church in the world. He's written great devotionals morning and evening that we still read today. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. There is so much truth that that's like a Bible that's falling apart. Like, like if your Bible is falling apart because you have overused it, it, it typically means your life isn't falling apart. I brought one of my favorite tri- travel Bibles. This Bible has literally been around the world with me, and, and it, it's been through it. I mean, it's, you know, pages are coming out of it, and I mean, also, but I tell you, I cherish this book because it's been around the world. It's been in over 30 different countries with me. Uh, I've preached out of this thing. I've studied out of this thing. I've read this thing. It's changed my life, and I, that's why I really believe every person needs a paper Bible. You need a Bible that you can wear out. You need a Bible that can be falling apart because you're using it so much that it's literally falling apart. And if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one today. We have free Bibles available at the Welcome Center on the way out. Everybody should take a Bible. So let me give you three steps today to continue in the Word so that we don't lose this series. Here's number one. Build it into the foundation of my life. I want to take God's Word... And I want to build it into the foundation of my life. I want this to be the foundation for my values, my principles, my decision-making, my choices, my marriage, my parenting, my business, my career, my finances. I want this to be the foundation 
of it all. See, foundations are not seen, but they are absolutely there. And if you talk to anybody in the construction industry, they'll tell you that the foundation determines the capacity of a building. Like the quality of the building is contingent on the foundation that you build. If you build the right type of foundation, you can build a large building with a lot of capacity. You build the wrong foundation, that building is going to come down. It's, it's going to fall. It's not going to stand. The theme text for this series has been Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the word of God. This is the words of Christ. And puts them into practice. So you don't just hear them, but you put them into your life. You build your life on it. They are like a wise man who built his house on the rock, on a firm foundation. And he goes on to say that there's storms that are coming. And you, you want to be a house on a rock because when the storm comes, you need to be able to withstand the storm. And there's a lot of people, Jesus goes on to say, building their life on sand. And so when the storm comes, their house goes sliding away. It goes falling apart because there's nothing to keep it secure. It's kind of like what we see in Malibu. Every time it rains, houses come sliding down the side of the mountain. Why? Because they're not built on rock. They're built on mud and rain and sand, and it can't support it in the rains and in the storms of life. Well, you have a desire to see a certain quality in your marriage, a certain quality in your career, a quality in your parenting, an idea of success for you. Well, the quality of that is determined by the foundation you are building. So the question is, are you building on the right type of foundation? Are you building your life on a rock that will allow you to stand in the storm? Or are you building your life on sand so when the storm comes, your life goes crumbling apart? Unfortunately, there's, there's three predominant types of sand we see in the world today that people are building their life upon. And it's not just people outside of the church. Unfortunately, what's beginning to take place is we're seeing a lot of Christians today building on the sand of the world. And I'm going I'm, I'm to show you what it is so that you can prevent yourself from building on sand. The first type of sand is what we call popular culture, whatever is popular, whatever everyone else is doing. We're just going to go with the flow. We're going to follow. If this is what culture is saying is socially acceptable and culturally relevant and right and wrong, we're just going to follow the culture of the day, pop, pop culture. Now, let me tell you, pop culture comes and goes, but the truth of God's word stays the same. Like whatever is popular today is going to be different 10 years from now, just like it was different 10 years ago. So you've got to decide how much of popular culture you want into your life. In other words, you've got to decide how much of the secular, how much of the world you want into your life, because what you feed your life with is the foundation you are building upon, and it determines a lot. I mean, think about, I mean, let me give you the best illustration I can. Us North County people, how many know those of us who live here in North County, we're very, very picky about what we eat. That's why we've got organic grocery stores everywhere, like organic food everywhere. Like we, we want to eat clean. We want to eat healthy. We want to we, we be, you know, feel good physically in our body. And we understand in North County that what you put into your body determines how you feel, determines your energy level, determines your health level. And and so we're very particular about what we allow into the body. But at the very same time, we don't have that same regard when it comes to what we feed our mind. Like we're feeding our mind. And and then we wonder, why, why, why do I have so much anxiety? Why do I have so much fear? Why do I have so much depression? Why do I have so much insecurity? Why, why, what are you feeding your mind? 
It's, it's all your diet. Like, what are you binging on? Some of us are binging on things on Netflix and looking at things and listening to things, and then we wonder why we feel a certain way. Well, what are we feeding ourselves? What, what is our diet consisting of? We don't, we don't as, as Exodus says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Stand out. Be different. Feed yourself a different diet. Here's the second sand we see people building on. We call it reason. We live in this enlightened age where we're so smart now. Like, we figured it out. Here's what reason says. Reason says, let me think about it first. Reason says, well, let me give you my opinion. Reason says, here's what I've always thought about it. To be very honest, I think it's pride for me to even have an opinion. People ask me all the time as a pastor, well, what is your opinion about this social issue? What is your opinion? What has God said? It doesn't really matter what I think. Like, like, my opinion really doesn't matter. God has not been silent about it. So why would I give you an opinion different than what God says? What, what does God say? See, reason says, well, I thought about it, and here's what seems right to me. Well, I thought about it, and you know, I know the Bible says this, but, I mean, come on, things have changed. This is 2019. We're more enlightened today, so we need to redefine some things. We need to kind of change some things in here because it's not, you know, it's not socially acceptable anymore. There's things in here that are now culturally offensive, and so we've got to redefine and, and change some things. And unfortunately, right now, and this is even happening in the church, we have people changing things the Bible is not unclear about at all. The Bible is, is not silent about at all, and it all goes back to this reason, well, we thought about it, and we think best. We, 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 think, we think we know better than God now. Remember the verse we looked at last week? There is a way that appears to be right. Appears to be right. Like, like I know better than God, but in the end, it leads to death. Sounds like 2019 to me. So let me say, anytime the Bible contradicts what you think, like the Bible says this and you think that, let me give you a good piece of advice. Go with God. Go with the bigger, smarter one in the relationship. <laughs> Trust me, it'll work out better for you. Here's the third type of sand we see people building on feelings. Like, if it feels good, do it. Or if it feels good, it must be right. And we live in a culture right now where if I feel this way on the inside, it must be who I am. Like if I, if I feel this way, then this is my identity. It's who I am. When did our feelings ever become our identity? I mean, do you realize your feelings lie to you? Your feelings are incongruent. Your feelings are incoherent. Your feelings change over time. So just because you feel like it today doesn't mean you're going to feel like it tomorrow. So why would you build your identity on something that you can't control, something that changes, something that contradicts? I shared with you last week, I've got these competing feelings inside of my life on a regular basis. I've got this one feeling where I want to be fit, I want to be healthy, I want to look good, and then i got this other feeling that I want to eat donuts all day. <laughs> and both feelings are very valid. Both feelings are very real. So what feeling do I trust? I can't build my life on my feelings because they're not always honest with me. You know, sadly, this week uh, on our, our YouTube channel, uh, a message from a couple years ago, and Dr. Christopher Yuan was at our church. He was actually teaching on this. He was teaching about, you know, when did our feelings become our identity? And we don't trust our feelings. And, and somebody must have watched the message this week, and, and they wrote a comment in the comment section on our YouTube channel. And, and here's what they said. They said, wow, don't trust your feelings or your thoughts. 
That's one of the most messed up ways of religious thought, in my opinion. Faith seems to me like a disassociative drug. I did that roller coaster for over 10 years before I decided to go back to being myself and trusting my own instincts. Listening to this stuff reminds me of how awful it was. I think it's so tragic that somebody would say, I'm going to go back to trusting my own instincts. I'm going to go back to what I feel is right or wrong. And and honestly, this is the best part about my job because you don't have to believe me. You can go try it. You'll be back. Like, go live off of your, let your feelings decide what's right and wrong for you, and you'll be back because you'll find out very quickly it does not work. You cannot build your life on sand and build the quality of life that you desire, that you want. One of the most tragic books of the Bible, it's full of chaos, it's full of heartbreak, it's full of tragedy, is the book of Judges. And here's why it was filled with so much chaos and tragedy. It says, at that time, there was no king in Israel, and people did whatever they felt like doing. If you live your life this way, it's going to be chaos, and it's going to be tragedy. So let me illustrate to you what it looks like to build your life on sand and what it looks like to build your life on the rock. We'll, we'll deal with marriage, for example. Like when you're, when you're trying to find somebody to marry, there is the world's way of, of here's what we think, here's our reason, here's our feelings, here's what's popular, and then there's God's way, there's rock. So let me, let me illustrate the two. First, let me show you how to build your marriage on the sand. Number one, find the right person. Why? Because if you find the right person, everything's going to be right. Like if you marry the right person, you're never going to fight and they're never going to make you wrong and you're never going to have a problem. And if you are fighting and you have problems in your marriage, all that shows us is you didn't marry the right person. So you need to leave them and go find the right person because if you get the right person, you're not going to have problems in your marriage. Right? That's what the world teaches, find the right person. Then fall in love, like I'm so in love with you. problem with falling in love is you'll fall out of love just as easily as you fall into love. Number three, fix all your hopes and dreams on that person because if they're the right person, you can put all your hope into them All your because they're never going to hurt you. They're never going to break your heart. They're never going to do anything to upset you. And then finally, to build your life on the sand of if failure occurs, repeat steps one through three. That's what it looks like to build your life on the sand. Now, let me show you God's way of building your life on the rock. Become the right person. It's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. It's about who I am. I want to become a person of character, a person of honor. Then I'm going to walk in love because it is my choice. It is my decision to love. It's not something I fall into. It's something I choose. It's something I decide. Then I'm going to fix all my hope on God, and I'm going to honor him through all of my relationships. And if somehow I go off script and I'm not following the plan that God sets out and failure occurs, then I'm going to go back and repeat steps one through three. And that's the difference between building your life on sand and building your life on rock. So, so let me give you two tests, two questions to, to, that you, you have to answer with you to help you identify whether you're building on sand or whether you're building on rock, the first question is, what do I do when I don't understand? Can I tell you, there's a lot of stuff in here I don't understand. What do I do when I don't understand it? Do I decide, well, I know better and I don't understand that and so I'm not going to follow it, or do I accept it? See, to be a Christian, you're going to have to accept things you don't understand. To be a Christian, you're going to have to accept things that are inconvenient. You're going to have to accept things that cost you. You're going to have to accept things that are uncomfortable. 
You're going to have to accept. You know, I accept electricity, and I don't understand it. Like, like I couldn't tell you the, the first thing about how electrons and protons and neutrons are going through these wires and the walls, and, and all of a sudden we have lights. I have no clue of how to understand electricity, but I accept the fact that I can turn on a light switch and enjoy light. So I don't have to understand everything about God to accept everything about God. And then the second question is, what do I do when I don't like it? A little harder one, huh? What do I do when there's things in here I don't like? Because to be very honest with you, there's things in here I wish God didn't say. There's things in here I wish, I, I wish weren't in here that are, that are hard to chew on, that are hard to do. What do I do when I don't like it? I can decide that I'm smarter than God and I know better than God and I'm just going to decide and edit and choose and pick the parts of the Bible I like and ignore the parts I don't like. But at the end of the day, if I'm picking the parts of the Bible I like and, and ignoring the parts of the Bible I don't like, then Jesus is not who I'm following. I'm the one that I'm following. And what I'm doing is I'm making up my own religion. I'm just I'm grab-bagging different parts of the Bible I like and I'm creating my own religion, but it's no longer Christianity. So what do I do when I don't like it? See, see, this is where the rubber meets the road. There's going to be things that you don't like, that you've got to decide who's God. Like, are you God or is he God? And if he's God, there are parts you may not like, but just take for granted that you may not see the big picture. You may not understand. Like me trying to figure out all of God's ways and all of God's thinking, I said last week, it's like an ant trying to figure out the internet. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be times you don't like it. Here's the second thing. You build the right foundation, but to do that, you've got to have the right attitude. You've got to approach it with the right attitude if you're going to build the right foundation. Jesus has a parable in Luke chapter 8. And in this parable, he talks about four different attitudes, four different ways we approach God's word, four different ways we approach the Bible. And so what he does at the beginning of the parable is he gives you the symbolic parable, and at the end of it, he interprets it. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a verse at the beginning and a verse at the end to highlight these four different attitudes towards the Bible. Here's the first one. In verse 5, he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. The seed represents God's word. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. So in the farm, there were footpaths that the workers would walk on in between the rows of the crops in the fields. And the footpaths, the workers would walk on year after year after year, and it would compact the path. It would compress the path. It would make the path incredibly hard. So it wouldn't be fertile because it's hard ground. And so when they would scatter seed, some of the seed would fall into the footpath, but it had nowhere to go because the ground was hard. So the, so the seed couldn't penetrate the ground. And so eventually birds would fly down and eat the seed because it had no way of penetrating, getting into the ground. So here's what Jesus says. He says, those along the footpath are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts. We see this every week. People sit in church, they hear the message, and before they get to their car in the parking lot, the devil's saying, that was complete nonsense. That was foolish. You don't believe that, do you? That's like a fairy tale. Like, come on, you're smarter than that. And all of a sudden, the, the birds are taking the seed right out so they cannot believe and be saved. The hardened soil is a closed mind. People that are just closed off. Is your mind ever like that? Is your heart ever like that? Sometimes we never even give God a chance to talk. So what is our action step for this? I have to cultivate an open mind. I need to be open-minded to follow God, to, to really receive what God could say and God could do. Here's the next one, verse 6. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. This seed began to grow, 
but soon it withered and died for lack of moisture. They would have understood this in Jesus' time because most of Israel today is a very thin layer of topsoil over a, a bedrock of limestone. And so what he's talking about is seed would be planted in the topsoil and it would spring up, but then when it would get very hot outside, uh, the moisture would evaporate, the roots would not going down very deep, that the plant would wither and die because it didn't have roots. It didn't, it, the roots wouldn't go down and really dig in. So Jesus says the rocky soil represents those who hear the message with joy, so they get really, really excited, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. So they get very excited, but the roots aren't going very deep, so they believe for a while, but then they wilt when the hot winds of testing blow. If you've been around church for any period of time, you've seen this over and over. People come in, they get really excited. Maybe they're going through like a marriage crisis, and so they start coming to church, and God kind of puts their marriage back together, and they get really on fire, and then all of a sudden they're gone. You don't see them anymore. Or they come into church unemployed and they're struggling and, and, and they're desperate and so they're like laying down their life for God and they're getting really on fire and excited and serving and then all of a sudden they get a job and you don't see them anymore. Or sometimes it's good things it's, or sometimes it's tragedy. They come in, they get really, really on fire, they don't build any roots, they're not involved in, in small groups or relationships or dream team and as soon as a tragedy happens, they get angry at God and they fall away because there is no roots. The shallow soil represents a superficial mind. They're just superficial. They never let the things of God go deep into their life. They keep it at a surface level. They keep it at that surface level. They don't take time to, to let it sink in, to allow the seed to penetrate the bedrock of their life. So the action step here is I've got to make time for God's word. How do I make time for God's word? What you're doing right now prioritizing church where you hear God's word being taught, small groups where you get together with other Christians and you study the Bible. That's how you make time for God's word. Is small group a priority in your life? Is getting together with other Christians to study and talk about the Bible, is that a priority in your life? God's word in your life, personal devotions, daily time in God's word. I've, I've got to make time for God's word if I'm going to have roots. I need a root system to withstand the next one, he says, seed fell in the weeds, and the weeds grew with it and strangled it. So this is seed that actually grew, but it didn't produce any fruit because weeds were growing with it, and the weeds choked the life out of the seed. So here's what he says. He said, the seed that fell among weeds stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. They don't grow. They don't bear any fruit in their life because of all the busyness and all that. They're always on the go. They're always on the go. They're always busy. Can I tell you, busyness is one of the greatest barriers to getting God's Word inside of your life. We're so busy, we don't have time to prioritize God's Word. Uh, I was with one of my overseers this week, Rob Ketterling, who oversees our church and myself, and we were at a conference together in Alabama, and he, his, his boys are now in their 20s, and they are the greatest young men like I've ever met. On it, I mean, just, just, these are the type of guys you want to marry your sister. Like, like that's the type of guys these are. I mean, they're, they're love God, they're hardworking, they've got good jobs, good careers, faithful to God, faithful to church. And I asked, I asked him, I said, how did you do this? Like, give me some parenting nuggets. Give me some, give me some great keys to parenting for how you did this. He goes, well, we had a 70% rule growing up. 
I said, 70% rule. What is a 70% rule? He said, we just told our kids when they got into junior high and high school that we would go to 70% of their activities, like 70% of your sports events, 70% of your music events, 70% of the recitals, 70, like we're going we're gonna to go to 70% because our life revolves around Jesus, not you. Like we're not going to build our life around you. We're going to build our life around Jesus. So you just need to know up front, like we'll go to the big games, we'll go to the championship, but we're not going to be able to make every game because our life doesn't revolve around you, it revolves around Jesus. And it made a statement to these young men, and they grew up with such a heart for God and and, and such an incredible foundation in their life because they realized our family doesn't revolve around our schedule, our family revolves around Jesus. Jesus is the priority of this house. And I just thought there was so much wisdom in that statement. So what is the soil with weeds? It's a preoccupied mind. We're so busy. We're so distracted. We're too busy for God. Unless tragedy strikes and then we come running for God. And can I be very honest with you? I don't have any problem with that. I think when tragedy happens, you should run to God. And if anyone ever gives you a hard time and says, well, you only run to God when you have a problem... Let him say it. Run to God when you have a problem. He wants to be there for you. He just, you know, is hoping that at some point it'll stick. And so how do we deal with it? I must eliminate the distractions. I'm convinced that you could get rid of half of the things you're doing right now in your family, and you would be emotionally and physically healthier. I mean, the biggest sin of our community is our busyness. It's the biggest sin. So what is the last one? The last one, he says, the seeds that fell in good soil stand for those who hear the message, retain it in a good and obedient heart, and they persist until they bear fruit. And that's the goal. We want to bear fruit. Bearing fruit biblically is a metaphor for being successful in your life. You want to have a successful marriage. You want to be successful parents. You want to be successful emotionally and physically. You want to be successful in your business. I mean, does anybody want to be barren? Like, I want, I want a marriage that's just miserable. Like, like I want a barren marriage. I want, I want kids that just, like, get themselves, like, locked up in jail. That's, like, that's my dream is kids that end up on drugs and end up in jail. Like, nobody wants that. We want to bear fruit, right? Well, Jesus is saying the people who bear fruit are the ones who hear, hear, retain, and obey. So this last one is the good soil, which is a willing mind. I'm willing. I'm open. I'm submitted. And here's the action step. Do what it says. That's what we looked at last week. James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, let me give you the last one as we close. I need to make it a daily part of my diet. If I'm going to continue in the Word, it's got to be the foundation. I've got to have the right attitude, but it's got to be something that's daily. Jesus says, this is the bread of life. You need to feed off of this every day. You need food every day. You need need God's sustenance in your life every day. No commander of an army would ever send a, a troop into battle that hasn't eaten in three months. That would be foolish. You would get killed. You need to feed. You need to eat. We have too many malnourished Christians who are not feeding on God's word on a daily basis. Paul puts it like this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, my team is going to bring me an illustration because I want you to visualize this for a moment. He says, let. Let means choice. They're going to come in just a minute. Come on out. Jordan, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. So Paul says let. Let means choice. It's something that you have to decide to do. You you have to decide. So here's what I want you to visualize. And he says, let it dwell in you richly, not poorly, not partially, richly. 
So I want you to imagine your life is this glass of hot water, like you are this hot water, and this tea bag is the Word of God. And so here's where a lot of people are at today in the church. They say, okay, I'm going to come to church every Sunday, and I'm going to listen to Pastor Aaron for about 30, 40 minutes. If I fall asleep, maybe 30. Um, But I'll listen for a little while, and then I'm going to kind of go on my way. And that's about all of God's word they get them. And if you look at this, it did make a difference. Like it made a little difference, didn't it? There's a a slight change. But if we were honest today, we really wouldn't call this a glass of tea, would we? Like it's not a glass of tea. And then there's other people say, you know what? Uh, I I should at least once a week read the Bible. And so so once a week they read the Bible and then they kind of go on with their way. And you know, it, again, it, 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 made a, it made more of a change. Like, like, it's definitely changing a little bit more, but you still wouldn't want to drink this. It's still not a glass of tea, is it? So what Paul says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. So I'm going to, like, every day, like, I'm just going to let this thing soak in me every day, and I'm going to let God's Word dwell in me, and I just want to get more and more of God's Word in my life, and I'm just going to let it just be there that richly and continually and daily. And what begins to happen is over time... You begin to smell differently, you begin to taste differently, you look differently. Understand what I'm saying? And we wouldn't even call this a glass of water anymore, would we? It's something entirely new because of the Word of God in it caused the nature of it to change. This is what Paul is talking about. So let me give you three practical steps to to see this happen in your life. Uh, The first one is get a translation of the Bible that you like. What do I mean? The Bible was not written in English. The Bible, the New Testament was written in the original Greek 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament, longer than that, was written in the original Hebrew. What we read today is an English translation, and there's a lot of English translations, and people get hung up on them. So you need to find a translation that you enjoy, that you like, that you understand. There are three main categories of translation. So I want to help you understand this so that you can pick the one that is best for you. First off, there's what we call the formal or exact equivalency. This is a word-for-word translation. This would be King James, New King James, New American Standard, the, the ESV or English Standard Version. Now, these are very hard to read because it's word for word in Greek syntax and Hebrew syntax. The grammar is different. Like they put subjects and verbs in different places than where we put subjects and verbs today. So sometimes it's a little confusing and difficult to read these. Then we have what we call functional or dynamic equivalency. This is not word for word. This is thought for thought. You have the New Living Translation, NLT. This is the one I recommend to read every day. It's the easiest one for us in 2019 to read every day. There's the Good News, the English version. The NIV is the most popular. Uh, NIV is a little bit of both. It's kind of a combination of both. It was put together by 100 different scholars in 1987. Since its release, it has outsold every other translation combined. And then finally, you have paraphrases of the Bible. That would be the Living Bible or the Message Bible. It's not a translation. It is a paraphrase. So let me show you kind of the difference between the three. I'm going to to show you one verse in each category and and show you how they read differently based on the category. Now, you've got the King James. Uh, King James, a lot of people out there who are like King James only. There's like whole movements of Christianity that are completely wrong that, that are King James only. I've actually heard them say, if it was good enough for Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. 
Well, the King James Bible was written in the 1600s. Paul was dead long before then. But here's the King James. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. I don't even know what vaunteth means. It is not puffed up. God does not speak in a British accent, unless you're British. So you don't have to read the Bible in a British accent, and you don't have to pray in a British accent. You'll be fine. Here's the NIV. Love is patient. Isn't it a lot easier? Same thing. Same verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Here's the message, the paraphrase. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. That's that's the three different versions. So what I encourage you to do is study with the formal, devotion with the functional, and then have fun with the paraphrase. The next is study the Bible. Study it. Get it inside your life. And the Bible, now listen to me very clearly, the Bible was meant to be studied two different ways. Just like in college, there's two different types of study. The first The first way the Bible was meant to be studied was on my own. Like, I'm supposed to spend time in God's Word on my own on a daily basis and study. That's why I encourage every person to get a paper Bible. Some of you need to bump it up this year and get a study Bible. We have five of my favorite study Bibles available here. We have the Jesus Bible. It highlights Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. We have the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, which is all really New Testament theology, uh, very similar to what we teach in our freedom curriculum. You've got the Faith Life Study Bible, which is the best all-around study Bible, the Quest Study Bible, great for people who are skeptical, people with lots and lots of questions, people who are new to Christianity, and then the Cultural Background Study Bible, lots of archaeology and history. This is the hardest one to use, uh, but so you got to really enjoy kind of archaeology and history. Uh, I enjoy this one because I love all that stuff, but you really have to like that stuff to like that study Bible. Get a study Bible. The second way we study is in community. They're doing a lot of research right now in educational systems about group study and individual study, and what they're finding is you absolutely need both. You need individual study when you're in college, but you also need group study. Why? Because sometimes in a group, somebody understands something that you missed, or or somebody can explain something that, that you don't quite understand, and when you study by yourself, the only opinion you ever get is yours. That's why we need to study with others. This is why one of the reasons why every week you look in your message notes, we have small group discussion questions for you. I'm telling you right now, one of the best things you can do for your faith journey every week is get together with some Christians in our church and talk through the message from the weekend. That's what our small groups are built on, is you just to get together and study the Bible, take what we're teaching and talk about it. The more you talk about it with other people, the more of it you get inside of you. The more of it you learn, the more of it you grow. So if we're going to be effective at studying the Bible, we need to do it on our own and in community. Now, finally, in closing, you need to put it in my heart. If I'm going to do it daily, I need it in my heart. I need it in my heart. I need to take God's Word, and I need to meditate on it. I need to memorize it. I need to get it inside of my heart. I need it inside me. The the Bible, the psalmist in 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, and it's all about the Bible, says, I have hidden your word. I've taken God's word and I've hidden it in my heart. I've memorized it. I've meditated on it. I've got it inside of me. Why? That I might not sin against you. 
Now, let me explain that for a moment, because people get hung up on that statement, sin against God. You're, you're thinking to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Like, I'm not sinning against anybody else. Like, what's the big deal if I sin against God? Can't he handle it? Let me help you see it differently. When you sin against God, you're not hurting God, you're hurting you. When you sin against God, you're going against your design. In other words, God gave you an owner's manual. And when you sin against the owner's manual, you're going to have issues. Life's going to get expensive. Life's going to get complicated. Life's going to get hard. Let me put it like this. If you buy a diesel truck, like you get one of these nice diesel trucks, and you decide, you know what, forget what they said. I'm going to sin against the owner's manual. I'm not putting diesel. Diesel's too expensive. I'm putting unleaded in this thing. I mean, no, if you have a diesel truck and you fill it with unleaded gasoline, you're going to have engine problems. It's going to get expensive quick. It's going to get complicated quick. It's going to cause you issues quick. Why? Because you're sinning against the owner's manual. You're not taking to heart what the owner's manual says about the vehicle, and it's going to cause you problems. When you sin against God, you don't hurt God, you hurt yourself. When you go against the owner's manual for your life, you're going to have engine problems. You're going to have engine problems in your marriage. You're going to have engine problems in your parenting. You're going to have engine problems. It's going to get complicated quick. And so we have the remedy. I'm going to take God's word. I'm going to hide it in my heart that I might not have engine problems. That I can make sure I'm putting the right gasoline in the tank. That's what this verse is saying. I'm going to hide it inside of my life so I can live the life God wants me to live. See, the reason God hates sin is because he loves people. God doesn't hate sinners. He hates sin. Why? Because sin hurts you and God loves you. Like, I hate to see my son hurt. So I hate certain things that he can do because I know they will hurt him. I don't hate him. I hate that thing because I know the damage that thing can create for him. God feels the same way. He doesn't want you doing certain things because he knows it's going to give you engine trouble. He knows it's going to make your life a mess. And he's like, I love you. Don't. Here's the owner's manual. And so as we leave this series today, let's not lose the series. Let's continue in the word. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask today that you would take this series deep inside of our hearts that we would build our life on your word as the foundation of our life. We would approach it with a willing heart, with the right attitude. We would be good soil to receive. And God, it would be a daily a part of our life that we would, we would eat of the bread of life on a daily basis so that we would be well-nourished to live the life you've called and created us to live. God, that we'll take your word, we'll hide it in our hearts so that we don't have engine problems and make our life a mess. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with one song of worship. During this song, our prayer team will be available. If you filled out a prayer card today, I want to encourage you to, to bring it forward. Let somebody pray with you about that card before you turn it in. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never given your life or surrendered your life to Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that and pray with you. The best decision you can make today, if you don't know Jesus, is to give your life to him. And there is, that is a step of faith. So I can't answer every question you have about what that means. But I can tell you, if you take that step of faith, you'll never regret it. And you know in your heart, because it's tugging your heart right now. You know that's you. 
you know you need to pray with someone, our team would love to pray with you today. And if there's anything else going, they'd love to pray with you. If you, if you want to figure out what your next step is in your faith journey, stop by the Welcome Center. we got next step cards to help you figure out what the next step in your spiritual journey is. This is the closing song, so we'll sing this together, and then we'll be dismissed.